Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Beardy and the Geek, the last one for 2012. And just to round things up, uh, we're going to do some short reviews. We're also going to give you our Christmas stocking fillers for the year, some recommendations, some quick ones. And later on the show, we're going to have a bit of an announcement. So uh, yeah, we're going to get stuck in shortly. But first off, I'd just like to welcome back, as always, Ryan from Geek of Oz. Thanks for joining me again. No, no problem at all. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you've come back from your big adventures overseas, <laughs> safe and sound. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, I was back in Ireland and uh, bumming around and went to a few conventions and saw a few folks. And yeah, it was a good time. A good time was had. Good time was had. That's good, and I'm sure uh, many a, a Guinness was drunk because I'm just assuming that everyone in Ireland drinks Guinness. Everyone drinks Guinness and we all eat Tato crisps. That's Good. the mandatory diet. The last thing I ate in the country of my birth was a Yorkie chocolate bar and a bag of Tato crisps, as it should be. Good. Very good. <laughs> but um, before we go any further, uh, I understand congratulations are in order, Mr. Ryan. You have yourself a new gig. I do, indeed. Uh, even though we spend all of our time talking about comics and Australian comics and, and uh, everything related, I actually, for anyone who does um, follow Geek of Oz, they will know that I have an especially fond interest for Japanese animation. Now, uh, I have recently been uh, tapped on the shoulder to provide a monthly anime page for JB Hi-Fi Stack magazine. Now, uh, any of our listeners who are in Australia, definitely go out to JB Hi-Fi, grab yourself a copy, and uh, and check it out, especially if you're into anime. Um, it's free as well, so, you know, grab two for that price. <laughs> yeah, the, that, that magazine tends to just sort of, I find it in my bag after I've been in JB Hi-Fi, I don't know how it got in there. Yeah, <laughs> and also those DVDs that, uh, that that just somehow managed to find their way to the register every time as well. I thought you were going to imply I'm a shoplifter there for no, a second. No, no, not at all. I decided not to right at the last second. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that you are uh, got yourself a new uh, new venue to uh, express your fondness for anime. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I'm, I mean, I'm I feel blessed. It was sort of out of the blue, and um, so far it's been really fun. The the first uh, the first page is out now in the December issue, so go grab yourself a copy. And if you've got anything nice to say, let me know. If not, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Well, we're going to get stuck into it now in a moment. We're going to each do a sort of mini review of uh, Australian titles out at the moment for your purchasing pleasure, I'm going to take on the latest issue of Winter City, which, as you know, we, we here at Beardy and the Geek are strong supporters of. And Ryan has finally got his hands on Torn by Andrew Constant, Nicholas Scott and Joe James. So you're going to give that a lash? Indeed. it's. Um, I have had it uh, in my hot little hands for a while. I've just wanted to give this particular book some extra attention because I... Um, you know, I, I was, I kind of felt like Sebastian in, in Never Ending Story. I, I started and, uh, and decided that I didn't want it to end too quickly. I need <laughs> say, to pace myself. Say my name, Bastion! <laughs> say my name! Uh, well, <laughs> well, we're gonna, we're gonna do that, but please keep listening because afterwards we will have our 
Christmas recommendations for those of you who need some last-minute shopping ideas. But we also have a very special announcement to make, which uh, we'll be coming up at the very end. So, um, yes, just to get going, I... I'm very, I was very happy to see Winter City number four on the shelves again. Uh, a few months ago, we had Patrick Purcell on the show with us, and he was, I felt, uh, somewhat over humble about the production time with his comic. He's saying, "Oh, we'll, we'll get it out there eventually," but honestly and truly, it's it's a well-told story, and pauses in between, you know, actually, that they're taking, they're putting the time in to get this right, and that's what I think. That's what I admire so much about Winter City, and I think that's why. So many people have been raving about it because it's such a professionally put together product. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like. Um, I mean, for me personally, I'd much prefer for them to take their time and bring out a quality product like they have, mm. instead of you know feeling as though they've got their backs to the wall and, and just get the product out. So no, I, I for one, I, I definitely appreciate the fact that they're putting the quality of the book first. Mm. Instead of sort of the uh, the rabid, um, the the famished fans out there that have been salivating over issue four for how long? <laughs> I mean, it's it's and it's also good to see that they are taking the time to develop the story in very steady stages. So, yeah. for example, in this issue, we have a two prong storyline. We have the present day murders that have been carried out against a number of individuals in sort of conspiracy. We learn that the, uh, this relates to a, an incident called Typhoon, or some project called Typhoon, and each of the people that have been cornered by death uh, somehow relate to this project. But we then also tra- travel back in time to Sam Winters' childhood once again. This time he's 12 years of age, and we're beginning to understand how exactly this plan of his came forth, or what is what the elements were that sort of came together when he's had his breakdown. So it's it's slowly but surely building, and there's some nice little aspects being thrown in there. It opens with Marshall Daniels, once again, him and his partner, cerebrally discussing these murders and, oh, the paperwork involved for them. And that's what I enjoy. Patrick's, uh, Patrick and Carl's scripts poke fun at the world-weary detective that's a common trope in these stories where they're just they just they're just getting through the day they just get it done and that that comes across very humorously here but what i thought was interesting about the opening was in previous issues this assassin this killer was actually being mistaken by certain people to be death to be a supernatural creature whereas we see media coverage of the murders and he's no longer been described as a supernatural entity or a monster or anything like that He's been recognized as a sociopath wearing a mask, and that's how they describe him. So I thought that was that was good to sort of establish that, that there's no longer any suggestion that this is supernatural. Everybody's on the same page. This is actually a man wearing a mask, and it's an important point to establish. We then meet the three surviving intended victims who are panicking at this murderer stalking their friends and colleagues, and then we go back to Sam Winters. Sam, here we see the alter ego actually emerge. The first hint that when he was 12 years old, the seed of this creature that he will become begins to come to the surface. And we actually have the scary dialogue bubbles. This sort of He is becoming this dehumanized figure. And he 
gets involved in the fight, uh, encounters this girl who's intended to be the sort of sympathetic figure, a friend for Sam, his first friend, I believe. And, you know, she's supposed to be this, she's drawn by, um, by Pablo as this very cute, cute little girl. But she then launches into this chapter and verse, uh, quote from the Bible, the book on the angel of death. And I was, I was like, wait a minute, this girl's crazy, man. <laughs> totally yeah. nuts. It's me. Kids can be crazy too. She, uh, you know, this is a little girl who knows Book of Revelation off by heart, and she's able to deliver the spiel to him, which of course he then uses inspiration later in life when he becomes deaf. So all of these things are happening in concert. It's been quite well developed. The art, as always, by Pablo and David is is excellent, and um, the script itself by the two brothers, Purcell. Like it's ticking along. I, I, it's a gr- fine comic that's taking its time and has its story to tell, and I couldn't be happier. Now, when you say that it's ticking along, do you find that, especially in uh, this issue, mm. that you actually you get to know more about the character and the motivations than you have in the previous three? Well, I think they're they're establishing. They're drawing together Sam and the future incarnation closer. So we're beginning to understand the stages necessary for him to become this creature. Um, as we discussed in our previous review episode, I mean, we are looking at a very critical appraisal of, say, the Batman archetype. And there actually was a moment in the comic when death has been shot down by a number of uh, security guards. And they're crowding around his body, and one of them says, "That's body armor." And it was just like the moment from Tim Burton's Batman film, where they have Michael Keaton on the ground, and then they notice that poor slim Michael Keaton is actually wearing this reinforced rubberized armor, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I always thought was quite funny because people were saying, "Oh, how could Michael Keaton play this character? He's not buff like Christian Bale." Like, well, no, that's actually the idea that you wouldn't ever suspect it was him underneath all that. I don't know if that was an intentional reference, but there is this continuing notion that in order for you to become this individual, you have to be severely disturbed. And while the city and the inhabitants of the city are all seemingly corrupt and venal and all the rest of it, to have Sam become a crusader for vengeance, um, he himself needs to be severely disturbed as well. So it's, it's making a lot more sense and it's taking us through the story quite well. No, that's good. It's um, like you said, it has been a favourite of ours, and and it's good to see that um, you know, they're just going from strength to strength. And who would have thought? I mean, you you read the first issue and it's great, and each one has actually been getting better and better. So, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to 2013. <laughs> yes. See what's coming next. Now it's it is as you say when you when whenever a property like this comes out and it hits us with this storm of hype and high expectations and great story, all the rest of it, you always have that niggling suspicion in your head it's going to be another one of those too fast stories that just vanishes after a short while. What I like about what these guys are doing is they're keeping the momentum up. They're keeping it going. I don't think they're going to be flashing the pan. I think they're they're here to stay for a while. So that's why, that's why I admire most about it, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, moving on to my review for the day mm. is uh, Gestalt's release of Torn, which is uh, written by 
the man mountain himself, Andrew Constant, uh, with art by Nicola Scott, Joe James, and Emily K. Smith. Um, we've also got a cover art, which is just gorgeous, by uh, Nicola Scott. Um, now, I talk about the cover itself, and Gestalt have done a really great job with their covers. Um, this one in particular has just got a picture of our, our main character in black and grey, um, pretty much on a black background and a big white wolf on the front. Um, it's all matte black, but then the torn itself is in sort of a, a high gloss finish along with the names and a little uh, ink splatter on the side as well. I know it's only a little thing, but binding, you know, judging a book by its cover, I don't care if people say that you shouldn't, you do. And as soon as you pick up this book, you just sort of, I don't know, it's beautiful. Like It's, it's a really good looking book. And Gestalt are doing a good job with all of their covers. I, I just hope that they keep it up. But anyway, back onto uh, onto the story itself. What Andrew has done is he's kind of inverted the common werewolf story. Instead of it being a man who turns into a wolf, what he's got is he's got a wolf that turns into a man. So this guy, instead of a, a guy that loses all control and... You know, he, he regrets what he's done afterwards when he turns back into a man. We've got an animal who doesn't know any better. Hmm. And he's trying to come to terms with this new world that's full of rules and regulations and, and things that you can do, can't do, everything else, and actually trying to have a relationship with a, lung, uh, a young lady that he comes across. Um, we start off with a prologue by Nicholas Scott. And her art, and, and it is, it's black and white. It's not black and grey, it's just black and white. Um, you know, we have a bit of sort of some cross-hatching here and there and everything else, but it's just stark black and white, and it really suits the story itself because that's kind of, that's the way that the character is. You know, this in, there's no grey area where the character sees right and wrong. He's an animal. It's black and white. There's no guilt, there's no, uh, you know, like I said, there's no transforming back into a human and, and thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I've just killed this person or I've done whatever. He's, you know, when he turns into a human, he kills people and there's absolutely no remorse. So the black and white thing really works perfectly. Uh, and, and Nicola Scott, her, it's a really good setup um, and some beautiful art, as you'd expect. Mm. Then we get on to... Joe James art and his he really just knocks it out of the park um, I'd probably describe his art style as it's kind of a, a less comedic version of uh, Jamie Hewlett's Tank Girl mm. where you sort of got the angular faces and, and squirrely hair and um, I don't know it's uh, it's a little bit cartoony but at the same time, it conveys all the drama that you need to have in this story and, again, carries on with the whole uh, black and white and, and, and very little grey. The way that he set out the panels as well, it's just it's so dynamic and not necessarily in, in terms of having um, panels bordered by perfectly straight rectangles. When you go through the story, you might have rectangles here and there, but it's like you descend into madness and you have these sort of jagged rhombus looking um, panels. And sometimes you don't you don't sort of have panels at all where, where you've got one panel colliding with the other. And, um, you know, when, when you've got a, a wolf hunting over, hunting a pack of deer 
it's it seems natural and it seems organic not to have it bordered by a whole bunch of different panels. You've just got the deer running over another panel, and it sort of the third panel is in black and white. And I, I can't really explain it, but it's almost like a it's almost like a horror noir feel to it. Hmm. I, like, I I really really enjoyed this book. And and this is part of the reason why it's taken me so long to to review it, and I have had it on my bookshelf and in my hands for quite a while. But the reason I took so long is because I I kind of wanted to appreciate it. Yeah. And it's something that I find I, I don't necessarily do all the time. And and you know I'll, I'll read a um, my floppy books, I'll read a, a Marvel book or something like that, and I'll just read it for the story, and it absorbs into my brain, and then I, I set it aside for when I get the next volume but this is this is a one volume deal and i wanted to make sure that i sucked in every little ounce of information that's on there and every little you know every little stroke of ink on the page and it's something that you could go back and read again and again and again and there's just subtle nuances that um obviously that andrew has written but that joe has put on the page well andrew chose two excellent collaborators for his script because the opening half with Nicola Scott, as you say, I mean, her art is very clean, her art is very defined, and to have those scenes in the forest, when Rex the wolf, uh, we we learned through speaking to Andrew, he refers to the wolf as Rex, but uh, Rex the wolf meets this horrible uh, tragedy, encounters this horrible tragedy, that is very natural and her art fits that very well. Mm. Whereas then when we go to James's segments, when we're in the city, and all of a sudden it's it's the art is scratchier, it's rougher, it's chaotic. It's chaotic, you know, and you're in the city. You're in the city which is to Rex this very confusing place. And he he's in a new body. He is slowly beginning to learn language, but to him language is something he just parrots, which I always thought was an excellent part of the script. They keep having these callbacks to various phrases he just keeps using, and I thought James captured that really well. So it's it's actually a very interesting choice to have the two artists segueing between the two states of this character from natural animal to confused monster. I mean, he is in his own way a monster um, because he's a, a wolf stuck in the body of a man. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I always sort of when I when I read the book, I I never really considered him to be a monster. Where you know the classic werewolf story, yeah, they're a monster and they and they lose control and they mm. they do what they do. But I I sort of figured that Rex, he's not a monster. He's a wolf and he's being a wolf. Mm. There's nothing particularly unnatural apart from the fact that you know when he becomes a man and he does these things they that's when it, it it becomes monstrous and that's interesting isn't it because his behavior is seen to be the behavior of a psychopath you know whereas we being the readers know actually he's an animal and he just he's disguised as a man and so it's 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 sort of an interesting take on what is acceptable or how we choose to define certain behavior in social circumstances, whereas in the wild you are just savage. Savagery rules. In in a city, even to the point where you're murdering people, there has to be some sort of psychological 
justification for what you're doing. Oh, you're disturbed, or you, you're psychologically imbalanced, or you haven't had your medication today, or whatever it is. Whereas yeah. in the wild, it's very simple. It's black and white. You are you are hunter, you are victim. That's it. And that's so, where I feel as though the art is a perfect reflection of, of that exact explanation that you've given. It's a, it's a fine book, and uh, I'm glad you've, you've. I think you did the right thing, just taking the time to really soak it up. Because Andrew's work, I mean, there's a lot going on there. And uh, during your interview, he mentioned that he wanted, he's working on the post-apocalypse story next. I can't wait to read that Absolutely. because it's 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 a genre I'm very interested in. I, I I'm really looking forward to seeing that similar a similar approach. Yeah, I mean, uh, I. I can see that Andrew Constant is the kind of guy that I'll I will follow his career to the ends of the earth because if this is you know this this is his first graphic novel mm. and if this is where you start my goodness I mean he he's been a writer for many 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 years uh and that's not a reflection on age by any means but um if this is his first graphic novel and and I know it's a, a labor of love but um I can't wait to see where he goes from here. And and this is the one thing that I love, and I'd like to say indie comics, uh, I suppose. You know, Gestalt is an independent comic book producer, um, or a smaller public uh, producer. The thing I love about this is seeing people's first works, and you see where they start. And when people start, you know, they're, they're starting at level nine, they you kind of wonder how where can you go from here can he get any better and i i think he can and that's not a reflection on saying that he's he's not doing a good job as it is but um man. yeah but no it's 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 a question of craft i mean he obviously is already to a certain standard and he's somebody who would be looking to improve his craft so it's going to improve uh whereas some people just you know they come out in the market and they've got this brilliant idea and they have this as we were talking about the flash in the pan uh, type approach. They actually execute it really well, but it's just a bit random. And then when you ask them to follow up on that, they don't have anything, or they, they can't sustain it. Whereas I think with this creator, I think we have somebody who is going to continue to develop, and that's what's so um, enticing. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. So two thumbs up from you on Torn, then, yes? Yeah, two thumbs and a big toe. And <laughs> and, and the big toe isn't, uh, again, isn't a thing about... Um, Andrew's big toe, which had been cut apart and uh, operated on before our interview. That wasn't, yeah, it's it sort of, um, it didn't really come across, because I, obviously I edited a lot of material down for those two segments that we published. You and he and Christian were in this very involved conversation about the toe, and very little of that actually got into the mix. But That's a pity, because that was riveting. <laughs> there was a bit where you just, that I couldn't cut it out, you actually did refer to it, um, I think he knocked a glass or something, and you all started talking about his toe. That's still in there. But um, I think people at home listening, yes, he showed over the interview. He, he was all bandaged up and uh, uh, suffered a lot of mockery from some people at the table for this. Christian and, Reed. <laughs> and I, uh, I cut a lot of that out, so you may have been in the dark, but that's what was going on there. There's a... It got a bit chaotic towards the end of that recording, so that's why I was, I was like, okay, I'm taking that out, I'm taking that out. And also, the other bit I edited out as well, which is a huge shame, because Andrew got very excited about it, was we had a sort of impromptu discussion of Doctor Who, and he got really into it, because apparently he's a huge Whovian. So, uh, there was very involved, but it just, it was going off 
we were going off point quite a bit, so I had to remove it, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I thought that was... Maybe we'll include an extras in a future episode. <laughs> sort of outtakes. On the gag reel. Yes, I think we should move on. So, we have a few recommendations for the folks out there, what you might be wanting to get for your respective other in terms of Christmas gift. What do you have, Ryan? Well, uh, I've chosen five, and, and it's a little bit of a, a strange mix, but um, now the first one, I don't know if I'd put it into a, a stocking if I was to give it for a Christmas present, unless you bag and bought it, of course. <laughs> but uh, one of the best mainstream superhero books, and I know that we talk about Australian books on uh, and Australian creators on this show a lot, but um, one of the best books that I've read recently is Indestructible Hulk number one coming out of the whole Marvel Now relaunch, reboot, whatever you want to call it. Um, Mark Wade, he's been around forever and he knows his craft and he's done a really great job on uh, Daredevil. But what he's done with Indestructible Hulk has made probably one of the least interesting characters in the Marvel Universe one of the most interesting characters in the Marvel Universe. Um, instead of treating the Hulk like it's uh, like it's this, this superhero beast within, what he's done is he's, um, he's made Bruce Banner realise that I should be right up there with the Tony Starks and the, uh, and the Mr. Fantastics, the Reed Richards. I'm one of the smartest men in the Marvel Universe. I should be able to uh, take a hold of that and... and be the champion like these guys are and just realize that the Hulk is an affliction like anything else. Any other sort of affliction that I just need to deal with, Mm. live with it in my life. Realize that every now and then it's going to flare up, but you know what? That's okay. I can deal with that. I kind of like, I really like that idea and it's so simple. He's He's never been able to just live with it before. It's sort of a parallel of what Joss Whedon did with the movie as well, isn't it? Because we had this idea of Banner being a far more active presence than previous in previous versions of the story. He's always has this sort of he's he's afraid it's going to happen any minute now, and he's living in fear. Whereas in the film, and maybe to some degree in this comic as well, there's a sense of him accepting or at least understanding what the Hulk is, and occasionally the Hulk is useful. Yeah, just embrace it, and yeah. uh, when it's go time, point him in the right direction. Yeah. Excellent. So, I mean, that was really good, um, and when it comes out on trade paperback, grab it. Otherwise, get it on your pull list, because it was a really, really good book. Uh, now, the next one that I'll mention is something that we've spoken about before on the on the show, uh, is Chris Scarf and uh, Tom Taylor's Star Wars Blood Ties, Boba Fett is Dead. Now, that comes out on trade paperback next year, but the actual book, the series itself, was released this year. So um, any Star Wars fans, and Boba Fett is is a fan favourite in the Star Wars universe, any fans of Star Wars, grab that one, it's really great. Uh, One thing that I was actually given for my birthday just recently was a DVD called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Now, it may, if I describe this, it's going to be, it's going to sound terribly boring, but it's beautiful, it's, uh, it's mesmerizing it's elegant it's pretty much what good sushi should be 
So what it is, it's the story of an 85-year-old sushi master named Jiro Ono. Uh, now, he's the owner of a tiny little sushi bar with only 10 seats. It only seats 10 people. Um, and he has three Michelin stars in his sushi place. He's uh, a record holder for the, own, the oldest uh, Michelin star holder. And his restaurant is the only Michelin star holding restaurant that has a toilet outside. <laughs> now, it's the reason it was so good is it's all about passion, and it's all about this 85-year-old man that gets up every day, and he loves what he does. And the whole thing is, he said that you can't necessarily choose what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Mm. But what you can choose is to be the best there is at what you do, and to just love it and do it. And... It might kind of sound a little bit like a defeatist attitude, but realistically, you you can't necessarily just choose what you want to do. Yeah. So make the best of of your life because it is fleeting. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was shot well, and it's just, it was lovely. Anyway, second last one, uh, anything by Osama Tetsuka, the, the master of... Manga is a good thing. Now, this is a reasonably uh, controversial book, and it's not like people automatically think of Tetsuka, they think uh, Astro Boy. This is an Astro Boy. It's called Message to Adolf. Now, what it is, it's the story of 1936 Nazi Germany, uh, a Japanese reporter that goes over to cover the Berlin Olympics for the Jap- uh, Japanese press, and... Um, it winds up that there's three different Adolfs and uh, they all sort of encounter each other at different parts uh, at different times of the war. And it's um, it's a really good book, rather controversial, broken down into two parts, but um, definitely worth a look by uh, by Vertical Publishing, I believe that one is. And they always do some some really good books. And what do you, what do you have next? Now, my very last one... He's called Tears in Rain. It's by Rosa Montero, who's a Spanish uh, journalist. It's been translated into English. This book itself, uh, I've just finished reading it, and as a big, big fan of Philip K. Dick and of Blade Runner, this is a spiritual successor to Blade Runner, all about the replicants and, and yada, yada, yada. But what this book does is it expands on the whole Blade Runner um, mythos to a point that has never been done before. Because you always you always see things, you, you see films and you read books that seem to be inspired by Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, but you never actually read or see anything that is a direct spin-off of. And this, she's done a fantastic job. I can't... I can't stress enough how much any science fiction fan should pick up this book because any science fiction fan will be at least aware, if not well-versed, in Blade Runner and to Android Stream of Electric Sheep. So this is one to grab. Tears in Rain by Rosa Montero. Excellent stuff. Excellent. Now I've had my massive rate, so uh, <laughs> your turn. All right, I'll, I'll keep this brief. I'm also going to start with a non-Australian comic just to... Mix it up a bit. Uh, Revival from Image Comics by Tim Seeley and Mike Norton. Uh, this is a horror story with where the dead come back to life 
and people in this small community are finding themselves dealing with these revival revived uh, loved ones who are all exhibiting bizarre behavior. Uh, some are murderous, some are self-harming. It's a very uh, disturbing story, and I really I love the art. I love the plot. It's sort of a more sinister take on Lindquist's uh, Handling the Undead, which is a great novel if you haven't read it. Um, so definitely worth checking out. I think the trade is coming out very shortly. Um, my second choice is an Australian book, and that's Bruce Moutard's Sip Show, which is from Milk Shadow Books. Sip Show collects a lot of early work by Moutard, and also includes a going away present, which was uh, given to Greg Gates when he left Melbourne, actually. Uh, which is sort of a nice little tribute to Greg. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, also notable for Bruce Moutard's autobiographical work. And a lot of his material seems to be inf- um, inspired by Robert Crumb. And he actually, uh, faces up to that in the work itself. He's saying, am I just imitating Crumb? Is this um, do I have any artistic ability of my own? It's very interesting, very smart stuff, and very honest. So for anyone out there who's looking for a snapshot at the career of one of Australia's great comic creators, uh, this is a good one to get. Um, lots of, like Crumb, you've got a lot of sort of sexual guilt, and I think it's from a specific time and place in Australian history, so it's it's sort of interesting for that reason too. Uh, my third choice is Daughter of Her Father's Eyes by Mary Talbot. The Talbot clan are quite a talented bunch. Mary is obviously the daughter of Brian Talbot. Um, Brian, who did Alice in Sunderland, one of my favorite books of the 2000s. Uh, daughter of Her Father's Eyes treats of the relationship between Joyce and his daughter. And um, quite a tragic figure, really, because um, I, you know, growing up in Ireland, I would have been very much aware of Joyce for most of my life and there was all this sort of garrulous talk of him having syphilis and then his daughter contracting syphilis from him uh, in the womb you know um, of course none of this is, apparently this is not true but it's something's been set up because she later went mad uh, so there was a lot of talk of oh she's that's because of the dad but the book itself treats of the relationship between Joyce and his daughter, but also the relationship between Mary and her father as well. So it's it's very interesting work, and uh, I'm also a big fan of uh, Alison McDell's uh, Fun Home, which happened to be a story about her relationship with her father, her relationship with her homosexuality, and her father's hidden homosexuality, and then Joyce somehow gets thrown into the mix of all that as well. So it's sort of I'm I'm kind of curious to that Joyce is being picked up by all these comic creators and they're actually using him to uh, illustrate some very interesting themes in the comic book form. So it's definitely uh, one I'd recommend to people. Um, my next one is another Australian book, The Trials of Francis Bear by Gregory Mackey. That only came out a few months ago, I believe, at the uh, Melbourne uh, Comic Festival in Federation Square. And it was um, it's it's a very very cute looking book but uh, as always with, with comics that's n- that doesn't necessarily mean it's cute very foul mouthed little bears in this in this story but it's great fun it's a great laugh uh, don't make the mistake of getting it for, for your kid and you'll be okay um, but it's it's definitely well worth, well worth checking out next up I have Cranburn by Brian Michael Byrne uh, 
Um, I actually have to uh, confess, I haven't read Cranburn. It, it comes at the recommendation of Paul Bedford. So, <laughs> I, I we, we, we probably know what we're getting into there. Um, read it or it'll punch you in the face. <laughs> basically. Um, so, it's actually uh, Cranburn's by Ben Michael Byrne. And it's a Australian post-apocalyptic story. It's uh, apparently set in a suburban setting within a post-apocalyptic scenario, which is quite interesting. I don't know if that's... Been, usually we go to some sort of wilderness setting, especially with the Mad Max aesthetic. So it's, it's I'm curious to see what this is like. And uh, just on the strength of Mr. Bedford's recommendation, I'm going to pass on the recommendation to you guys. But... Lastly, and I'm just going one over the five, I've gone to six, I wanted to mention an Irish comic. Uh, Atomic Diner um, is a company I'm very fond of. Uh, it's run by Robert Curley, who was my comic book guy when I was a nipper. When I was coming up, uh, I used to go to Subcity Comics in Dublin, and that's where uh, I first met Rob. And he has, in the years since, found his own comic book company, and he's doing a lot of good work Um with characters that sourced in sort of Irish mythology, early Irish history, and really interesting stuff. Um, the Crimson Blade is a book set a couple of centuries in the past. We're talking about a time when Ireland was still uh, under English rule, uh, where the Anglo-Irish, so more or less Protestant Irish, would be running and would be the aristocracy of the country. And you have this figure, somewhat a swashbuckling figure, um trying to um, trying to achieve some justice in this society this very unfair unbalanced society so it's 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 good because it has the historical uh thread running through it but it's also a nice adventure story um and if you like your uh adventure period comics to have a little bit of meat on the bone this is great because it has a lot of stuff about the religion and politics at the time so it's well worth checking out also the art is very nice too uh, by Dave O'Sullivan so definitely worth checking out and if you like that the other Atomic Diner books Roisin Dove League of Volunteers all top class stuff you can order them online so even if you don't live in Ireland you can get them shipped over here and uh, yeah definitely recommend them so speaking of adventure, and you went to six, so I get to go to six. There's no reason that you get more than me. Uh, I'll recommend Adventure Time. The complete first season is available now from Madman. Just come out in November. Uh, it's everything that I enjoy about Cartoon Network. It's silly. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's like Morris Sendax, Where the Wild Things Are on, on Acid. It's... Awesome. It's ridiculous and it's so much fun. So get yourself uh, The Adventures of, of Finn and Jake in Adventure Time, the complete first season. Available from Mad Men now on DVD. I've had the bacon pancake song stuck in my head for weeks. <laughs> so you should. <laughs> I love Adventure Time. It's great stuff. Very good. So there you have it. We've got a whole hefty selection of titles for you to check out. And some good quality stuff has come out this year. So... There's no excusing getting your loved ones or friends uh, some nice little uh, comics to wish in the new year. Uh, yeah, no, no gift vouchers, okay? People. No, come on, use your imagination. Use some, you know, exercise some taste. Don't even use imagination. Use ours. We just gave you some recommendations. <laughs> get online, order them. Damn. But to, just to wrap things up, we actually have something of an announcement to make now. 
So well, we've been talking, and what we've decided to do is from January onwards, we're going to move uh, Beardy and the Geek to a monthly podcast. The idea being that gives us more time to get material ready, and also gives us more time to promote the show and try and get a bit of a run-up to each episode, and hopefully keep on top of uh, developments in the Australian comic scene. So, yeah, um, next year we, we're sticking around. We want to keep putting the show out there, but we also want to make sure we're not half-cocked. Just really, you know, do a good job for you folks. So, uh, hmm. Next I'm never half-cocked. I'm always fully cocked. That's now, on to, <laughs> on to something else. It is our last show of the year, so I just wanted to, uh, anyone that is listening, I wanted to wish you a very happy and safe holiday period. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, um, Festivus. whatever. Festivus <laughs> for the rest of us. Uh, and, and a happy new year. We hope to hear from you in 2013, and thanks for all of your support this year as well. Yeah, we'd also like to thank everybody who's appeared on the show. Uh, we already mentioned Patrick Purcell, Christian Reed, Andrew Constant, Nicholas Scott. We're all happy to spend a lot of time with us, but also Paul Bedford, Paul Kajeji, and uh, Greg Gates, Dan Withington, and yeah, everybody who's been on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, how could I forget Darren? Darren Close. Yeah, we're uh, looking forward to 2013. Actually, that's something as well. Have we talked about the Killaroo Gang Wars special at all? I'm not too sure, to tell you the truth. I don't think we have. Folks, we're going to be in comics next year. <laughs> we're going to be published, aren't we? In- indeed we are. Yeah, if you go to your local comic store and you purchase the Killaroo Gang Wars Ashkan, if you open it up, there's our names and the, and the the masthead of the comic. So yeah, look, that's something else to look forward to. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's exciting as well. Uh, it's all well and good to have uh, have my anime stuff published in JB, but to actually be in a comic book is kind of a dream come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Barry, please, if you when when it comes out, we're obviously going to do a big spiel about it, but Support the comic, support local Australian comics. Killaroo's uh, something of an Australian icon, so throw down your shekels and, uh, yeah, we, I, I can't wait to see what happens with it because it's, it's certainly an um, interesting project to get a bunch of uh, unworthy amateurs like ourselves into a comic. <laughs> so. Indeed. <laughs> Alright, so, well, listen, if you want to get in touch, I'm also on Facebook at the, the Moments Report. You can find me my group page there. And the show itself is available on iTunes if you're so inclined. Ryan, where do folks find you? Just go into Google, put in Geek of Oz, and you'll find me. Uh, Geekofoz.com, Twitter, Geek of Oz, Facebook, Geek of Oz. I pretty much have the Geek of Oz thing down pat. <laughs> Very good. Well, um... Once again, uh, just like to close things off. Thank you, Ryan, for uh, being a part of the show, and uh, can't wait for next year. Absolutely. Now, uh, I just want to say as well a big thanks to you, Emmett, because you do the vast majority of the work involved in this show. You do all the editing. Um, you know, you organise a lot of our interviews and stuff like that. So, I just wanted to say thanks to you for all the time that you've spent um, getting this show together. So. Um, I, I couldn't ask for a better partner. Oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enough of that crap. See you all in the new year. 
See you in your folks. All the best and thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Cheers. <laughs>